you know, it's an interesting space to help people get on with what they're trying to create. It's like I create a safe environment. And that's just really on fire in my life right now. Hey, everybody, this is Jennifer Navarrete with the Walk Talk Challenge, and I am talking to Alessandra White, who is a person like myself who is interested in all the things, <laughs> learning all the things, sharing what she's learning, and then helping us all grow together. So, Alessandra, welcome to the Walk Talk Challenge. Thank you. I am so happy to be on level ground walking in my brand new neighborhood. We just moved to Spokane from the San Francisco Bay Area. And so now, instead of seeing the the bay out my windows, I'm seeing tree-lined streets, and some of the streets are ripped, and it's just, the colors are amazing. Mm. The color palette of our world, and the fact that we can go from place to place and experience it all brand new, I love it. So when we talk about your goals and challenges, which is what we do here on the Walk Talk Challenge, I'd like for you to share with our audience what it is that you do, and when I say what it is that you do, I don't mean the one thing, I mean all the things. All the things, the things that are like on fire right now are, I'm a creative Sherpa. So whether for writers or designers or artists or musicians, I create spaces every single day where they can come with people that are like us trying to enhance their experience of being a human being. Sometimes that means you have to like look at your taxes on a particular day so that you can get back to creating things. So I feel like I'm here on this planet to, uh-oh, hi puppy. It's a real walk talk challenge, Jennifer. That's right. You're going to hear uh, cars driving by. You're going to hear birds. You're going to hear dogs. You're going to hear sirens. This is the real life. That's what the walk talk challenge is all about. You're going to hear the guy doing the yard across the street. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. So I literally just came out of doing a creative work hour and it's, you know, it's an interesting space to help, to help people get on with what they're trying to create. It's like I create a safe environment and that's just really on fire in my life right now. That's one of the things. I, I think that's so powerful because a lot of times we think we need permission to do things. So what caused you to want to create that? I didn't ask you that earlier. I'm, I'm curious. Well, in my first big kick in the pants course was building a second brain, a cohort-based course. I didn't have a voice yet, and I couldn't be seen yet. So I earned the scholarship to do this thing, to learn these tools, to you know, design my personal knowledge management. And I was too terrified to turn the camera on. I mean, and then there were those things. Do you know those things called breakout rooms in Zoom? <laughs> yes. If those happened, I would just shut the laptop. Uh-uh, I was out of there. <laughs> So, you know, that's the big deal of that was eventually, eventually, I took risks. I kept going back because you're in these sessions for hours a day, right? And there was one very quiet space that was held by Maria Aldry. She's big on social media, really sweet. She's a specialist in Notion. She was holding a space where people just worked on their calendars or their emails or you know, the stuff that kind of needs to get, you know, the shoes that need to be tied so that you can walk in the world. And everyone was on mute. And I would go to that because I didn't have to speak. It was kind of a safe place. And one day, I felt in my gut, something's happening. 
something is happening. What is, I'm designing something. What am I designing? I'm not designing art, not designing composition. I'm designing a space. What if I took this very idea of being in a room where people had their cameras on, online, but nobody could hear another person. Nobody was expected to speak. They didn't even have to make eye contact. That kind of a safe place, but for creatives. And so that's how it was born. And at the same time, I was doing graduate training in hypnotherapy. And so some of those elements of hypnotherapy for creatives, I brought into the space. So how it works is the first five minutes, people file into the room and they say what they're working on. And I set the mood, I read the room, and then I pull a piece of music that I've curated that matches where I think the mode of where everybody is as a collective. And I set in that music and we start with a Tibetan bell. And then the music starts and we go into flow so fast it would just make your head spin. And at the end, have a little Tibetan bell. So everybody comes back, they stretch, they look into the camera, and that's another creative work hour. And people were like, how did that happen? I wrote 1,200 words. So that's, you know, that, you know that's, that's how it came about was from being too scared to turn on the camera in building a second brain. <laughs> you know, genius comes in the unexpected places. Sometimes it hits you straight on and you're like, of course, this is an obvious thing. But a lot of times it's, it kind of sneaks up on you. And if you will be attuned and attentive to it, you can grasp what that genius is trying to share with you, trying to give you this gift. And then you can take action. And then this gift then amplifies because you're able to give this genius gift to others. And that's what I hear happened with this creative work hour that you've got going on. And so that's only one thing that you're doing because that only takes, I mean, I know it takes more than an hour a day because anyone who organizes or manages or runs anything, there's a lot of prep work that goes in advance. There's a lot of quiet, reflective thoughts on things. And so that all takes time. But other than that, what else is it that um, some of the goals that you have and some of the challenges that you're encountering as you're going about your life? Yeah. Coming back to the stage, coming back to music after being away from it for, dare I say, how long? Let's just say more than two decades. Like I, le I left the stage, put the instrument in the case, discarded the key. Like I wouldn't go into a concert hall. Like I just left the whole world. I'm coming back to that. Wow. That's so powerful. That is so powerful because this, this is of your choosing. When you were doing it before, it may not have been the right time. It isn't that your skill set wasn't there. It isn't that there was an interest because obviously there was, but there wasn't the right time in your life. So I can only imagine this new version of you who has been so informed and has grown and has expanded and has a new outlook and a new thought process from the younger version of yourself who did music what that enhancement will be to this music that you will create. There is this, this book by James Fadiman, and he is really famous out of Stanford for his work on like microdosing. I mean, he goes back to Timothy Leary. He worked with Timothy Leary. He's a big deal. And he wrote this book. It was not about dosing, but he wrote this book called Our Symphony of Selves. 
our symphony of selves. And I was reading that this time last year. It was my special bubble bath book. And I read that thing. And then I started right back at page one. And I think I cried through some of each chapter of that book because it was all about we are not just one person. We're not. How many times do we say, you know, I was going to do this, but this other part of me wanted to do something else. It's a thing. And it, it came about like validated in research through inpatient adolescent units. The whole thing about parts. One part of me wanted to do this, and the other part went down a dark alley. And how they were healed was acknowledging these parts. So applying that as a polymath who has these deep, deep, deep interests and drives in these different areas, you put that with the concept of the symphony of selves, boom, I get to come back to music. That's how it happened. And it's electric. Mm. I've been playing now for for two years. The first year, I mean, I had to start with, do I still have the instrument? Okay, it's going to have to be broken into. And it was in tatters, Jennifer. Like You could tell it used to be a clarinet, a B-flat clarinet. You could tell it used to be that. And it was COVID, and I was broke-ass broke. And I literally started tearing through drawers, wallets, purses, sofa cushions, anything I could think, car, anything I could think of where I might have stashed money. And I pulled together a few hundred dollars and I sent that thing off to a retiree, an old army pilot who was brilliant at restoring instruments. I took it to UPS. We sent it off and he kept it for two weeks and he sent me pictures, Jennifer of the restoration, each step along the way. Oh my God. It was amazing. And when I got it back, I felt like I got my life back. So I, I want to pause here because it's such a powerful story, but he sent you pictures of the restoration of the clarinet. He took you on the journey. He breadcrumbed you in the process and allowed you to be a part of it by sharing that because that gave you more ownership and more desire to want to use this instrument when it did make its way back to you. And I just think that is such a powerful way to invite people in. And it's, you can tell it's like such a deep emotional thing for me, right? Like there was a huge wound that took me away from that world. So to revisit that place in my life, I needed that instrument. It's like the universe was perfect. I needed that instrument to be in the hands of Jack Tatum, several hundred miles away, where he sent me little images that came to my phone. Like, so I would see that instrument, not in one-to-one -one scale. I would see that instrument in these tiny pictures on my phone at a distance. So it allowed me to get closer and closer and closer and closer to the instrument until the day came that you shipped it back. <laughs> The box is on the kitchen counter. It took me three days to unwrap it. I was so scared. But there's there's a lot of energy in mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I'm using that to fuel all these other things that we're learning 
all these other things that we're trying, poking at tools I don't understand, talking to people who intimidate me. All that energy, I get to like spread it around. The music is energizing everything. (laughs) I love hearing birds in Spokane, Washington and hearing birds in San Antonio, Texas, because it's such a unifying thing. And it, it also just showcases just how we're human beings on planet Earth spinning around the sun and your story of owning your past in a brand new way and not owning your past in a way that's like, yeah, that was me. I, I admit that was me and I own everything I did. But no, no, no. Owning your past, that your past informs who you are now and it can help you make decisions for the future, but it's of your choosing and in the way and the pathway that you want it to happen. I think that's very, very powerful. So as we wrap up, what I'd like to ask is where can folks go to get connected with you? Obviously, if they're listening on Twitter or if they're listening to the podcast, you can come to Twitter, but where can we get all of you? I think Twitter is the best place because there I have my Twitter space that I run on Tuesday that's on my anti-expert space on Web3. And I also have uh, the information there to my creative work hour that meets every day at 10 Eastern. And yeah, it would be lovely to to have new people come up with their thing that maybe they haven't had the confidence to work on. And we also do a music one in the afternoons at 7 Eastern called Practice Not Perfect. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Alessandra, so much for joining me for the Walk Talk Challenge. Thank you so much for having me. I learned so much and I feel like I'm getting to know you a little bit better. So yeah, thank you so much. 